So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. You know, I'm looking down at my computer and whenever I see that little red light come on and it says that we are recording, I have to like really treat myself like I'm in a booth, like I'm in the studio, <laughs> like I'm a radio star, like I'm this incredible personality in DNI. Like I'm talking a lot more than I normally would talk, right? I'm doing that because I'm, let me tell you how happy I am. We are at the end of 2020. And, and literally, Julie, I'm looking at my, uh, my phone right now. And, and I said, you know, what I'd love to do going forward, and this is probably something that I'll start doing in 2021. I love to see what's trending on Twitter because our recordings <laughs> really are a sort of a footprint of history. Yes. You know, like when we go back and listen to these jokers, you know, five years from now, we'll be able to, to know what was happening because our recordings are pretty much real time. I can't do it today because this one is like pre-pre-pre-recorded, but we're still going to have a very, very good show. We got an awesome end-of-year guest. I'm looking forward to talking with Jack. Yes, me too. And I just have to tell you that you may not want to start the habit of checking Twitter, Twitter twins. Why, oh, why my not? God. Here we go. Why See? Not? Twitter trends. Um, because there's enough on there that may like not be great for your mental health, but every once in a while, they're good. Um, yeah, but you know, I try to, you know, I try to set the filters so that I don't get too much um, by way of politics. I don't get too much by way of, um, well, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Um, yes, I'm smiling right now, looking at one of the one of the sites who shut down MasterCard and Visa. And we're not going to talk about that. We got a guest on the line and we're not, <laughs> we're just not going to, I'm just saying the, the site was shut down by MasterCard and Visa. MasterCard and Visa said, look, we not, we don't, we love collecting payments, but we don't want any money from you all. So uh, we mm. out, we can't accept our cards anymore. You know, you got to be in real trouble for mm. MasterCard and Visa to say, we not taking, we, you can't 
listen, you you got to be doing some bad stuff, but you got a sponsor to to to, to uh, announce, right? Yes. Or, or we so we can wait. Oh no, let's do it. Let's do it. These guys are too awesome to wait. Okay, good. So in 2021, actually, probably our first show of 2021, we will be welcoming Jobvite as our newest Crazy in the King sponsor, um, and that will go along with Gusto, who's sticking around for a few more months. So really blessed to be able to start 2021 knowing that we're going to be able to bring you another year's worth of shows and continue to grow together and make really excellent content and have amazing guests like we have today to wrap up 2020. Now, I just want you all to know, uh, I, we keeps it 1000% uh, transparent over here. We were giving you the show when we didn't have sponsors. So mm-hmm. I just want you to know that we absolutely appreciate Gusto and Jobvite for trusting the content and the way that we curate and deliver that content. But we also want you to know that it means that much to us that even without sponsors, we are going to still be here talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which is exactly what you can look forward to in 2021. An intense commitment to continuing to give you real-time analysis, observation, comment, commentary, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, press go, don't pass go. We, that's, this is just what we're going to do. Uh, and we love using our platform to do that. So without any additional delay, let's get into this week's show. Our guest this week is special. I was actually telling Julie before we started recording a bit of the story of how long I've known of Jackie, how long I attempted to connect with Jackie, and then the fortuitous connection that was made with Jackie. Like, absolutely incredible. But our special guest uh, in this episode is Jackie Glenn, and I'm absolutely smiling because I know Jackie from her EMC days nearly 15, 20 years ago. You can find her on Twitter at Jackie Glenn. That's with two N's, J-A-C-K-I-E, Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, underscore, Jackie Glenn, underscore. She's on the Twitters, uh, and she is absolutely advocate or an advocate of diversity, inclusion, and she's a corporate culture strategist. She's an author, a speaker, a coach, and the principal of Glenn Solutions. Now, listen. We don't get to do too many introductions because Julie and I normally hold this thing down by ourselves. But I got to tell you, she is out here doing God's work. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Jackie, how are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me, Torrance. And I feel the same way about you. So back at you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So it would be great just to do the easy thing and just tell people a bit about who you are because you have a beautiful story. Um, and I know you, Jackie, so don't go too deep into the story. Leave some meat on the bone for Julie and I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I like to introduce myself. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are listening to this podcast. My name is Jackie Glenn, and I hail from the sunny island of Jamaica. Now, I've been in the United States since I was a teenager, but came to this country at the age of 19 as a nanny and I've worked my way up from being a nanny to being a CDO. And so left Dell EMC in 2018, 
wrote a book, Lift As I Climb, An Immigrant Girl's Journey Through Corporate America, and started my consultant practice. Torian, I'm going to leave it right there because you know I can go deep if you let me. So yeah. I want to leave some meat on the bone. But I also want to say this is a, a, a just an honor and a privilege to be here today. And I mean it. I I'd always say when I was in corporate America, if you ask any of my mentor, mentors or mentees, I always say I don't reward mediocrity. And I, you know, I, I tend to feel like sometimes everybody gets surprised and everybody doesn't get surprised. And so, you know, when you get um, a prize from me, you have earned that prize. And so I'm excited to be your final guest this year the year that I've called the era of the four Ps. And I'll talk to you about why I've dubbed this year, the year, the era of the four Ps. Julie, I'm already taking notes. So I'm going to put my <laughs> pen down because, you know, I, I just felt like there were some things she was going to drop on me that I needed to catch. Uh, so I already caught the 19 and nanny. You know, that was uh, a bit of alliteration right there. 19 and nanny. Uh, she just dropped the four Ps. Uh, she talked about telling mentors and mentees about mediocrity. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to let you get in for a minute, Julie, because for real, I don't want to be selfish and take up the call. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that we need to talk. We could just let Jackie go and it will be the best episode of the year. Um, <laughs> so so tell us, I, I mean, you, you've already given us so much, but tell us a little bit about that journey from nanny to the first professional gig, the first office gig. Um, for for us and someone who's kind of been in that same kind of background, that transition from um, a, a wage worker to the office is generally the hardest one to take. And then moving up the ladder becomes much easier, but that transition is hard. So will you tell us about that? Absolutely. And you know, the thing is, um, Julie, is that sometimes people see you where you are, when, where you are right now. And I always say, you don't know me. You don't know my story. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book, it was for many reasons, but one of the reasons was to capture and encapsulate my journey so that someone coming behind me, um, or even for my daughters that are uh, millennials and Gen Z, they can really read it and see my journey and get inspired by it. Um, I came to this country at 19 and I came back because I was sponsored by a woman in Kansas out of a town in Kansas called Shawnee Mission, Kansas. I honestly don't believe there was ever, um, and if anybody's listening from Shawnee Mission, I'm not trying to shade you, but when I was there back in the days, I don't think anyone I've ever saw a black person, Julie. So you know, I would get yelled at and stare at. And um, I did that work for two years. The thing is, that was the plan for me to come to the U.S., work as a nanny, get my green card. And then I relocated to Boston, where I live now, with my family. I had a lot of aunts, uncles, and cousins living here. And I relocated. And my first job after my nanny job was working at what's called now Bet Israel Deaconess Hospital or Bet Israel Lehi as a clerk, or they call it a unit clerk or a medical receptionist. Uh, my story is not at all different from any immigrant who have come to this country and really had to 
work their way into the country and work their way up through the 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 wave of um, corporate America. So I came in. I started as a, a clerk at the hospital. I went back to school first, uh, community college, Bunker Hill. Then I went to Manual College in Boston. Then I went back for my master's. And while I was doing all of that, Julie, I found time to find a husband who is Jamaican. He, uh, <laughs> so I wasn't playing. To, I, I, I found a husband, got married, and in between all of that, went to graduate school. And, you know, while I was still at the hospital, I moved. I had five different jobs at the hospital while I got married, had kids, and was continuing my education. You know, Jackie, when you talk about being an immigrant, I'm, I'm curious, uh, how, how does the conversation, when you hear uh, politicians, when you hear people, uh, because we're people before anything else, um, you know, before any title, before any position, we're people. So, so let me just say it this way. When you hear people talking about immigrants and they're wanting to take this person's job or that person's job, when you hear these various conversations, when you consider that as we end this year of 2020, there are still babies at the border separated from their parents, when you hear all of these different conversations as an immigrant who had a plan to come to the U.S., how does that make you feel? How does how does it sit with you? It just it pisses me off. If we're being honest, it it, it makes me angry. Um, it makes me sad. It's a wave of emotion. But the biggest one, I feel pissed off. I feel that you know immigrants have made up this country. This country was built on immigrants, and I like to say, as I said in my book, we're all immigrants because um, unless you're Native American. Um, you're an immigrant. And so I always tell people who tell me they're not immigrants to go and take the ancestry, the ancestry um, tests. Oh, and yeah. You know how much of that, how much of an immigrant you are. But it pisses me off. But it also makes me proud to be an immigrant because I always say to people, you know, who said, you know, sometimes people think they're shaming immigrants. So, I, you know, I'll talk and someone will say to me, well, how much jobs do you have, Torrance? Or, and I say five, and I, I'm being a bit facetious, but I have no shame saying when I started my career and started working, I did work seven days a week because I knew what I want and I had a plan and a goal. And there's this thing that I'm not saying it's just an immigrant, but when you come, for me, when I came to this country, I felt like there was so much opportunity so I seize every opportunity I could get. And it's not like I was doing anything. So I would work Monday to Friday at one hospital. And on the weekend, I work at another because I had a plan, I had a goal, and I wanted to accomplish it. So when I hear saying like immigrants should go back to their shithole, when I came from my country, everyone in my country sound, even if they were white and looked like me. And I had that pride. I came to America because there was opportunity here. And I'm always grateful for that. But, you know, they have made immigrants out to be criminals and thieves and have just brutalized our children and robbed them of their parents. And I don't know if anybody at all can tell me that that is right and can sit and feel good about it. But it makes me mad. 
Yeah. And I'm being very politically correct, pissed off. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I think that squares with the, the way that both Julie and I feel. I don't want to speak for Julie, but I've spoken to her enough. And, you know, I absolutely feel like we as in, uh, a country, I, I don't see any issue with having, uh, you know, steps to, to coming into the country. I don't see any issue with, you know, steps to citizenship and or time, you know, whatever that looks like. But I absolutely have an issue with uh, uh, a government purposefully separating children mm -hmm. and purposefully uh, holding back information, delaying the exchange of information. And, um, you know, in all of that, just uh, what, to prove a point? Like, like right. Julie and I even talked about the hysterectomy story that we had uncovered a couple of months back, you know, that they were performing. So I just... I feel like we can absolutely do so much better than that. Right, Julie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, Jackie, you, you also point out a, a dichotomy um, of sort of the immigrant tropes, right? So the first one is you just came here to get a free ride off of all of our hardworking American values. And then the other is, oh, my gosh, here you are taking all of our jobs because you're working so hard. And, you know, the, it just goes to, in a in a very clear way to say but you know what julie i'm gonna cut you yeah. off for a minute and yeah. say, you know one of the things that i've heard and i've got a lot of friends here you know um some of them might be listening to this when we get it out but um and they'll know how i stand about that people always say you know oh you come here and you take our jobs and but we take the jobs that you don't want to do and you know we do the yeah, job yeah. that a lot of people don't want to yeah. do i remember one of my um, first professional job was a recruiter in a hospital where I was recruiting for the kitchen, for the laundry, for out, uh, laundry housekeeping, the kitchen, and um, any of the cleaning work, housekeeping. And I would really, my job was to fill those jobs and I was being gold on it. And I would go out and recruit people. And this is not to punch anybody, but the people that really stayed in the job and um, at longevity, and to this day, some of them are still at the hospital, were immigrants, were people who came yep. to this country from Haiti, from Trinidad, from Barbados, from Jamaica, from Antigua, and they stayed in those jobs. And I remember I was brought up and investigated because I was hiring too much immigrants, and they were just Black people like everyone else. And wow. so I just really feel that people need to get over themselves and especially our own, I'm going to get controversial here. Do it. Please. But sometimes our own people, you know, Black people is like infighting. You know, you're you're Black American and I'm Black um, Jamaican. And, you know, we're the one who's doing it to each other. And we need to stop the crap. Because when um, the police officer look at me and look at you, Torin, or anybody else who was born here and I was born in Jamaica, they're not going to say, oh, excuse me, you were born in Jamaica, so you're not really black. When they look at me, they're going to look at me as a black woman, not a black immigrant. And I think if we can get anything out of this conversation is to pull us together as black people in America. And it doesn't matter where we're from and where we were born and whether or not you are African-American and I'm black, we're all black people. And I find that to be somewhat of a um, distracting argument that a lot of, um, you know, black people would say, you know, you came from your country and um, you're just here taking all the jobs. Well, the jobs are there for anyone who wants to apply to get the job and to keep it.
Well, I mean, you well, know, I know that's controversial, no. but let's just speak honest. It's let's honest. just be honest. Absolutely. As honest. And so because you have, you know, placed on the instructor's hat in the conversation, I, I want to see if you would be willing. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, you know, I want to see if you'd be willing to drop a bit more instruction because you already coach executives in the first place. So I'm not even moving you outside of your sandbox. I, I, I'm curious when you think of some of the, the headlines from this year, headlines like the Wells Fargo CEO and, you know, not being able to find uh, underrepresented talent uh, for the organization. When you think about Coinbase and their uh, statement of becoming an apolitical organization and for the most part, keeping uh, social justice and other types of conversations out of the workplace. When you think about the most recent uh, announcement uh, a few weeks back of uh, Pinterest former COO her settling the uh, wrongful termination suit that she had with them, uh, I think to the tune of $22 million, one of the largest suits of its kind in the U.S. When you think of these various headlines, public headlines around organizations' missteps for DEI, what do you tell executives? You know, I tell executive to think before they speak. Um, and I always say, you know, before you open your mouth, ask yourself, is what I'm about to say kind? Is it necessary? And is it true? And you can ask yourself, is it even going to help? Or is it just something I'm just... And remember now, you're not only... When you open your mouth to speak, not only will it affect your trajectory, but it also will affect the organization that you are associated with. So I think about the one, and I talk about it a lot, um, where the CEO at um, CrossFit, a couple of days after George Floyd murder, um, went on his Twitter handle and basically said something like, it's a Floyd 19. Mm. And I guess he didn't get enough likes or, 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 or love or, you know, whatever side. And so he went on a staff meeting call and asked his staff, which I think was homogeneous. So he figured he was safe. So he went on and he said, can you tell me why I should weep for this man as in George Floyd, other than it's the white thing to do? Well, what he doesn't know right now, it doesn't matter. Look who is protesting. It's not just black people that are out there. Young white kids are out there protesting and marching for our rights. And so someone put him on blast and literally record what he said on his staff call. And he had to resign from his job. But not only did he have to resign, Torrance, the company lost a boatload of sponsorship and partnership. So I will say to the Wells Fargo, my son-in-law works at Wells Fargo. I'll say to the CEO there, you know, some of the CEO, they need to I'm not quite sure where he got his coaching from, but again, I said, think before you talk, because there's so many um, professionals of color out there for hire. If he just look at, do, do his homework and look at the stats and the demographic shifting that is going to go on, that's going on a lot of city, including the one I live in, are slowly turning into majority minority cities. So I would say for all of those misstep and misspoken or people are what they are. And when they get squeezed, 
that you you find that things come out of them that they really mean it and then they start to gaslight mm. and so i would say you know i say i was on a call today doing a courageous conversation session and someone asked me you know should they call out microaggression or should they just keep it to themselves for fear and being called the angry black woman and i say if there was ever a time for anyone whether or not you're black or brown or even white women to call out microaggression, now is the time because it's a time for us to call out microaggression and use it as a just-in-time coaching or a teachable moment. Terrence, that was a microaggression and here's why it's a microaggression and remind people because a lot of people are acting like they don't know and some of them truly don't know. So this is a time more than ever for us to call out the Wells Fargo CEO for people of color to speak up and not bury their feelings anymore. And for us to let our audio match our video. So we're talking about, we want diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And all we're doing is talking and we're saying, stop talking and start doing. Stop talking and start doing. As my, yeah, as my granddaughter would say, she's two years old. Stop talking every day. That's what I'm talking about. You want to you wanna do more, less talking and more doing. So how would you say, right, as, as, a, as a white woman, I know when I first enter a boardroom, there is going to be some credibility that needs to be established um, with the other women and with the men. How is your guidance received? How long does it kind of take you to build up that trust factor when you can say that to an executive and it will penetrate the, the thick kind of narcissism and ego that accompanies those kind of levels? Well, let me tell you right now, um, I always say, you know, the role of um, a diversity lead or any diversity job is not for the faint artist. And I heard this from Donna Brazil years ago. You know, she said if she had to pick a scripture out of the Bible, don't ask me where this is because I don't know. It would be a scripture that goes something like you can run and not be weary you can walk and not be faint because this job is a hard job. So if you're going to take on a chief diversity officer role, you're going to have to be able to call people out because if you get the job as a chief diversity officer, it's your job to really not to just go with the status quo, but be a disruptive person in the good sense, get into good trouble. And so when I was at EMC, I would always be the disruptive technology. And so when I go into the boardroom, I don't know about credibility, you know, because I feel like you gave me the job. Um, I applied. I get the job as, a, as a, the chief diversity officer. So I'm coming to the table with that lens. And you, um, I'm not quite sure, do, do we ask all the white guys to come in with credibility and build it up before they come to the table? And so normally no. I come to the table and I always coach people to come to the table with your facts, know your facts, know I have some data to back it up. And um, if you don't know it, just say, I'll get back to you, but come to the table. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you have to really show up with a lot of confidence when you're talking about diversity. And if you can't do that, then maybe you postpone it and come back when you can. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, um, it's excellent advice. And I know Torn and I have talked a lot this year about diversity fatigue and about fighting those fights and how challenging um, kind of needing that respite can be. But I think as, as white people, we don't understand that that's a fight that you fight every day. And we are just 
edging on the very, very minimal um, bit of, of that shared experience. And so I, I'm curious as, as you kind of think about your professional career, um, a, how did you make that journey from recruiter to CDO? Was it something that became naturally your passion or was it something that you found in your everyday life? You were counseling and coaching people to do better when it comes to, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it blossomed as your career journey. My career journey was, you know, um, not just from a recruiter right to CD. I went from a recruiter to a HR business partner to a director of HR to a senior director. And while I was in the senior director role at EMC for the Salesforce, I was voluntold, as I like saying it, as the only woman of color at a 60,000 employee um, company, I was asked to take on the chief diversity officer role. And I said, no. I really did and really didn't want the job as a tall black woman with an accent. And so, you know, it took a couple of weeks for them to cajole me and talk me into it. And I remember having a coach and calling her and telling her about the job. And she said, Jackie, why don't you just take the job for 18 months just to have it on your resume? And 18 months turned into almost 15, 15 years. Wow. Wow. That, and that, that's amazing. I mean, and we're actually, so at my parent company, we are building our, our DEIB strategy right now. And we don't have enough diversity. We have a lot of diversity around disability. Uh, we don't have a lot of disability around um, race and ethnicity. And so, you know, just, I was really cautious about making sure I didn't volunteer anyone to kind of take these leadership roles or that we weren't um, promoting kind of that tokenism attitude. And I've been really cautious about that, but it is something I'm always worried about not mucking up. Is there any guidance that you would give to, to white diversity leaders or, or non-Black diversity leaders about how to make sure that you're asking the right questions, that you're being thoughtful um, without getting into analysis paralysis. I've seen that, that be the case right. many times too. Uh, well, you know, thank you so much really for asking that because, you know, um, one of the things that I would, the first coaching I would give, and I coach a lot of diversity lead that are white and non-black. And that doesn't mean that you have to be black to be a chief diversity officer, but my coaching to the right diversity practitioners is, you need to listen more than you, you know, listen and don't let white fragility or white privilege get in the way. Because yeah. I was just having this conversation with a, a diversity person and I talked to her about some of the work she was doing in her space and you could just tell she didn't like it. So she sent me a long email of all the work she has done. And then at the end of the email, she said, and this is not bragging, but I want to use our time. Um, productively when we meet again. So basically telling me that, you know, me calling her out and telling her some of the things that wasn't done was not being productive. And so I emailed her back, Julie, and I said, this is a clear example of white fragility. And here Ooh. is why. And so, yeah, I can be very um, authentic and transparent. And I feel like here is an example that you're displaying white fragility. And I think you have to be very self-aware 
of you're talking about diversity and there are several dimensions to diversity. And you might have some lived experience in being gender diversity as a white woman, but you don't know me as a black woman and my lived experience or as an Asian woman or as LGBTQA, or, you know, you don't know my experience as a person with disability. And so you have to do a lot of listen, willing to listen and willing to learn and, and willing to be fluid in the sense that, you know, sometimes you don't have to be the person that comes up with the strategy and stuff, ask for help. And I think a lot of times we have people in these roles and there's a subpart to this, and I know we're going over time, but there's a subpart that people take these roles on. And because they are Black, they feel like, okay, I know everything about diversity because I'm Black. But just because you're Black does not make you a diversity expert. And nope. that... And that is very controversial. I know I'm going to get a lot of calls, but please do call me because being Black is not make you, it gives you a lot of good lived experience. It gives you passion and you cannot do this work with indifference, Julie. So again, for my white and non-Black, non-people of color counterpart that are doing this work, you can't be indifferent. If you don't come to this work with passion, you might as well find another job. It takes passion. It takes resilience. It takes um, empathy and it takes trust and integrity to do the work of a diversity practitioner well. There's a lot of us out there with the title, but a lot of us are not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. And that's doing it well, being intentional and being deliberate. Love it, love it, love it. Jackie Glenn is the author of Lift As I Climb and uh, what a clinic she has put on in this episode. And we could not have ended the year uh, with a stronger voice. Jackie, I'm wondering, uh, your book, Lift As I Climb, An Immigrant Girl's Journey Through Corporate America, uh, I know you you view it as being an instructional biography um, of how you've sort of curated and you now share your 10 self-created gems. Can you give us you know, one or two of the gems, but, but even before that, why'd you even write the book? I wrote the book because I was in technology in corporate America and I will always look around. I would be the only one who looked like me. And then, you know, one of our biggest focus, um, when we talked about diversity in, um, that space was on gender diversity. And it really dawned on me. I would go into meetings, um, with our women's leadership and Julie, this should ring home with you. Um, to not do this. And I'd be in a meeting and there'd be all women because it's our women's meeting, but there'll be all white women. And I would, I was only in the room because it was my meeting. And it, it dawned on me one day that we were doing the same thing we were accusing the men of doing by being, um, very, um, we were not pulling and bringing along other black and brown women in the group. And so I called them out of an aid. Some of them took it well, some didn't. And I felt like a lot of times as um, white women, we will get to a spot in a male dominated company and we'll forget our black and brown sisters. And I just feel like, you know, lifting as you climb is important to do in any capacity, any capacity that you're in. But especially if you have a chance to lift someone younger, someone less fortunate. And I said something the other day that a lift can be a, a smile, especially now because we're in COVID. Um, and we're all in lockdown. It can be a smile. It can be a nod. It can be a wink. And it can be an encouraging word. So I wrote it for that because I wanted to encapsulate 
my journey as an immigrant in corporate America and also feature 10 other immigrants who are definitely professional in their own um, industry that talks about my gem and uh, gems and how it shows up in their life. So I'm going to buy five copies of the book. Uh, Thank you. I, but Crazy and the King is going to buy, purchase uh, five copies of the book. So if you're not following Julie and I on Twitter, then I would highly encourage you to do that because Done. we will drip those out over the next several days. But you, you need to, well, you need to just be following us on Twitter and you can figure out how to get your hand on one of the copies that, that Jackie has to offer. As we bring the show to a close, Jackie, just if you don't mind, give us two of the gems that are inside of the book. Resilience and authenticity. Those are two of my gems. I always show up very resilient. I said, you know, sometimes you have to sit in your discomfort until you become comfortable. I talk about that in my book. Resilience is important, especially in the time that we find ourselves. And I like to always bring my authentic self to anything that I do, because when you bring your old authentic self, you don't have to think about what you're going to do or you're going to say, because you're not putting on ears and you're just bringing you. Love, love, love that. So listen, Jackie, you, you, you were every bit of wonderful. Like, you know, we knew that the conversation would be good. I knew a bit more than Julie did because I at least have uh, some degree of relationship with you. Uh, I just want to thank you for being who you have been this year. Thank you for, you know, taking the time to chat with me earlier in the summer uh, and then for us to commiserate. Uh, I think that's a good use of the word, commiserate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, I just want, you know, as I said it, I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, did I use that word right? Um, yeah. So, you know, just for us to, you know, have commiserated as we have done over the last several months and then now to be uh, where we are right here. Final request from you. Uh, Julie and I love to do name drops. So I'd love for you, Jackie, as our guest to maybe give us a name drop as we end the year, then Julie, and then I'll close out the show. Yes, my name drop today is Dr. Sheila Robinson at Diversity Women's Magazine. She's amazing. She runs several conferences in the diversity space and is just a, a, a talented and wonderful individual. And her Twitter handle is at Dr. Sheila, at Dr. Sheila. She's amazing. Check out Diversity Woman. Now, I just want you all to know, um, we do homework over in these parts. Like we don't just hop on the mic and start talking. We could do that, but we do a little bit of homework. I looked at the video and Dr. Sheila Robinson said how she was afraid to call you. And oh, how, Jesus. Jackie wasn't ready for that. And this wasn't even planned. This wasn't even planned. But I just want y'all to know when the kids say he do work, the kid does work. It, oh, yes, he do. So, so Dr. Sheila said, I was afraid to call her. She said, uh, Jackie, Glenn, this is in an interview, Julie. Uh, uh, Sheila is interviewing Jackie Glenn and they are going back and forth. And, and Sheila is recounting her steps. Uh, Jackie comes in and says, uh, no, I'm not going to ever make it easy. I'm not rewarding mediocrity. Mm. But at the end of the conversation, the question was from Jackie, Julie, listen to this. Jackie asked Sheila. Uh, Dr. Sheila, she said, has anyone ever sponsored at that level? And Sheila 
Dr. Sheila said no. And Jackie said, I'll take care of it. So I just want you all to know when this woman, when this incredible empress says, <laughs> that she, I'm just telling you, when she says she's authentic, when she says she's committed, when she says she's going to challenge you and that everyone shouldn't get trophies, we don't do any of this out of animus. We do this work out of love. Julie, who's your name drop? Okay, I don't have a name drop, but I'm about to throw a wrench in things. I need to know the four P's of 2020 before we leave. Oh, good, good stuff. Oh, the protests, pandemic, prejudice, and politics. Ah, okay. Please give me credit for that. It's the era of the four P's. I have a whole program around that if you ever want a session on the uh, leading in the era of the four Ps. I love Give it. Give it to me one more time. Protest? Protest, politics, prejudice, and the pandemic. Prejudice and the pandemic. And just say pandemic, the four Ps. Hmm. All right. So my name drop, since Julie doesn't have one, uh, is going to be me. So in 2021, uh, that's right. In 2021, I'm going to do more on YouTube. And so I would love for you to get out right now. Go to YouTube.com. Follow Torin Ellis. There are probably six of them with the channel. You'll know me because I got a fly little image and it's got some graffiti <laughs> behind me and all of that. And I have a couple of videos up now. And so based on what you just said, I'm, I'm getting ready to take the liberty, uh, Jackie Glenn. Would you be a guest with me so we can talk about those four P's? Absolutely. Uh, but we got to do it on video. So, you know, we, you know, let's, we got to come correct. You know, like, you know, <laughs> put the smell goods on, get in front of the camera, turn some lights on. You know, let's, let's do that thing in 2021. I love that. I love that. And you owe me a trip to Martha's Vineyard. So we, we need to line that up for this coming summer. All right, we're going to make that happen. Julie, it has been an absolute pleasure to rock with you in year number two. Uh, you, I could friend. not ask for a better pod partner. I just simply recall when we were sketching this out um, and the the name was presented to us, Crazy and the King, and how we were going back and forth and my reservation and pause around such. And here we are 24 months later. And so I am eagerly looking forward to what 2021 holds. And I thank you tremendously for trusting me and for teaching me as we do each and every one of these episodes. I appreciate you a lot. That's how we do partner. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, I guess wrap up 2020, Torin, take us home. I appreciate it. And in the words of B.B. King, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. We close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice in the workplace. Be a better human. Be a better human. Thank you for riding with Julie and I over the last two years. We look forward to you riding and sharing us even more in 2021. For now, Jay and I are good. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. 
You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said, Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom, but do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.